I want us to get into like, I want to launch us in the first four chapters of Job because really the first four chapters of Job are the most critical and the last uh, 10 chapters of Job are the um, 11 chapters. So four and 11, there's 42 chapters. The rest of them are arguments that are not necessarily, it almost takes a while to get a picture of them. Uh, of growth and, and, and kind of sorting out the voice of the Lord. But let me, and then I'm going to share a testimony at the end of why Job, how it became a, a life-giving book to me and, and, and how I submitted to what God wanted to do with that in me. But starting in James 5, I said 5, 7, I think. James, James, James. I just want to read, there's a reference to Job here. And unfortunately, this is probably the big picture of Job. Therefore, be patient, <laughs> brethren, until the coming of the Lord. There's appointed times for God to come, not just the second coming, but that means that's parousia. It's a Greek word to, to draw near. So be patient until the coming of the Lord. Do not disengage your faith. Stay in engaged faith. See how the farmer waits. That's an example of patience. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And he's waiting patiently for, the, for it uh, until he receives the early and the latter rain. So he understands that in the whole seed time harvest that God put in motion, there's need of the early rain, the latter rain. He's waiting. He's doing his part. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, which is the point that we're always having to guard our heart and connect ourselves into that one place of union. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so his coming is something that he wants us to be in preparation to receive his coming. So we're expecting the mercy of the Lord to come into this situation, that situation, this place. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Isn't it interesting that when we're not being patient, happy, and cheerful, that we start grumbling? Isn't that funny that that's what we choose to do? Where is God? Why is he? I'm eating this worthless manna. I don't ever have any good food. Just that's a, that's a check. It's like a be, be, be aware. Don't do this because you're going to get judged for that. God will deal with you if you disengage from your faith in him and de begin, to, begin to become upset with others around you. It's, it's not that we don't. We do it. I do it. But it's when I see me doing, I go, ooh, I'm not in a good place right now. I better go spend some time with the Lord, get back in his word, and re reunite in, in agreement. My brethren, take, it, take the prophets. They spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. You see, you don't need patience if you're not suffering. The kingdom of God is sandwiched between pressure and patience. And if you're in the kingdom, you're going to feel pressure on one side and patience on the other side. Or in other words, you're going to feel pressure against you and patience resisting the pressure as you retain your place in the kingdom. Another way to put it is what our today's reading in 2 Corinthians 4, the last three verses, you know, um, to... Uh, oh, give me it, Brian, it's your, your verses. For 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah. So tell me. This light, this light affliction. How many are in a light affliction? How many are really heavy affliction? I think all affliction is big. But a light affliction is but for a moment. It's working a far more eternal weight of glory. A momentary light affliction, eternal weight of glory. They're opposites. While we do not look at the thing we see, but the things which we don't see. So the light affliction can turn to be the heaviest thing you've ever experienced and crush you under it if you look at it. But if we learn the secret of not looking at what we're seeing, but looking at what can't be seen, then, then it's working that eternal weight of glory. For the things that are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. So... This, back to James, you follow me so well, but back to James, he's talking about, okay, watch the prophets. They've, you know, they speak the word of the Lord. You're not going to get the world to applaud. You're not going to get the devil to bow down. He's going to rise up and try to push you back, and the world's going to say, well, what does that mean to me? I don't care. 
So it's, it's a growth process. So he says, they spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. James started the whole thing, endure, because then there's coming, a, uh, there's coming an outcome. And we're engaged, and that's what the book of Job is about. You heard of the perseverance of Job. So from chapter 4 to chapter 42, he is very much persevering. From chapter 2, he's persevering. It's, he's just trying to hold his place, and he's getting pressure on every side. And you've seen the end intended by the Lord. So in chapter 1, when, when God says to Satan, hey, have you seen my servant Job or considered him? God already knew where he was taking this whole thing. He already had a plan. It's intended. It's that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Beloved, if whatever we are going through, if we would acknowledge that what we're going to come into is full, far better than what we're going through. And if we could say this, as Romans 8 teaches us, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us with Jesus. When he repairs and when we come through that trial, when that situation no longer is doing its purpose, we come out free from it. We are no longer bound by it. And we're not, we're, we're just, it's a great joy. So the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Um, so now go with me to cha Job chapter 1. And let's just take a quick look at this. This is an interesting story. And then I'll tell you the story why it's so important, why it's, why, how it came alive to my life. Uh, Job is a righteous man. In verse 1, it tells us that he was a blameless. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. This, he's during the times of the patriarchs. The book of Job is most Bible scholars will consider it the oldest book. It definitely is during the time either predating Abraham or during the time in another setting. But this is a man who's called blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. And he had seven sons, three daughters that were born to him. And they would delight and gather together. They would have feasts and they would have uh, uh, celebrations and he accepted that their celebrations might make them go out of the boundaries their heart might get overwhelmed they might curse God so he took upon himself to offer sacrifices at the end of every celebration for his sons burnt offerings and that's probably if there's any door that opened for a for his fear to uh, find a, a a resting place, because when he says that which I feared has come upon me, so he had a fear, and he was trying to avoid it. I always try to avoid my fears, don't you? I mean, I know where they are, and I try to avoid them. But then sometimes God just says, walk through it, and I won't let you avoid it. I don't like that. But I've learned that it's, if that's the case, it's so that I could be freed from that fear that wants to control me to, to, in, in being the fear of death puts everybody in some sort of bondage. So um, there came the day, verse 6, when the sons of God, this is an interesting, uh, came to present themselves, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, well, from going to and fro and on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Now this Lucifer, who is now Satan, this archangel, this day, dawning, morning star, beautiful worship, has now just tried to rise above God, has now been sent and thrown onto the earth. And he's insidiously hateful and he's still arrogant and proud as ever. He says, does Job fear God for nothing? And then he accuses God that he's actually created in the heart of Job a love for him by the benefits he gives him. He says, have you not made a hedge around him, his household, and all around he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions. You've increased the land. 
But now, stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. If you've ever been under satanic oppression, which all of us have, it, in, in a, in you're in a posture of holding agreement with God, the, the pressure is to curse God, to, to, to call him unfair, unfit, wrong, to, to say, I don't want to have, this is, this is it's just a, to curse God. And God says to Satan, behold, all he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So it's important to know that God gives Satan the access, but God does not do the deed. This is, now Satan, he says, I think if I put my influence in that person's life, you've had your influence, you put a hedge around him, you prospered him, you take care of him. Now let me touch him and steal and kill and destroy, and let's just see if he still has that same attitude towards you. And so that day he went out, and his sons and daughters were eating, drinking, in the oldest brother's house, and then a messenger came to Job. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided and they took them away indeed they killed all the servants with the edge of the sword and i alone am will escape to tell you in next he says while he was still speaking another came and said the fire of god fell from heaven and burned it up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you there's four events two of them are natural and two of them are supernatural and satan has access to the both realms he could put a windstorm on galilee while jesus was sleeping in order to kill them he has the ability to stir up nature god does too that's why you can never know exactly who did what it's but but what happens is the fire came it fell from heaven burned the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i'm alone escaped to tell you while he was still speaking, another one came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, took them away, yes, and killed the servants at the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to, um, to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another one came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house, uh, in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, like a windstorm on the lake, and struck the four corners of the house. It fell on the young people, and they're dead. And I alone am escaped to tell you. Whoa. That's, that's huge. All in, within, what, 20 minutes? He hears all of these reports. So Job arose. He tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. Now, we're going to find out that worship works, but repentance is the way Job gets out of the problem. But worship was a key. He says, naked I came into my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he's responding with what he knows. I've told you before, please, please know this, that when God and Job have their conversation, and after... All of the issues are resolved, and Job's in a double-fold blessing. Never does God tell Job, by the way, it was the devil that did that to you. He doesn't, God does not think he needs to defend himself against the devil's actions, as though if we don't know it's the devil, we won't still love him. He's larger than all of that. He's just big. And that's one of the things we're gonna, we'll, we'll understand as we go into this. But... In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So, man, he makes it through that. I, 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 don't, I know I wouldn't. But he did, and he's holding his place. And so comes chapter 2, and another, another round goes. It says in chapter 2, again, there was a day when the, uh, the present of the, when the sons of God came to present themselves, both before the Lord and God, Satan came among them, and presented himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where are you? Where do you come? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. This place, you know, the unfortunate thing about Satan and all the demonic forces is that they seek a habitation, they find none. 
And so they're a wandering force. That's why even when the demoniac of the legions was delivered, he wanted, they wanted to go into the swine, into the pigs. They want a warm flesh place. And Satan is like going, I'm just, I'm going. I'm here, I'm there, I'm looking there. And the Lord says to him, have you considered my servant Job? You know, with God's help, I don't know. I mean, it's like Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit at the Jordan, after the Jordan baptism, and the first thing the Holy Spirit does is take him to meet the devil. There's some things that just don't make sense. You'd think, well, now you're going to put a fence around him so he never has to deal with the devil, just have superpower of Holy Spirit dealing with everything. But no, he had to go and fast, pray, hunger, and then prevail at the accusation with the promises of God and the word speaking. But he, so say, so God says, though, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. Honor, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity. That will be, that's the last thing that we all lose or feel the right, feel the, we feel that, the, you know, we can lose everything as long as we can keep our integrity. And integrity is a lot, and it means a lot. God is intimate with, the, with those who are integrous and honest. But he's still holding his integrity. And even though you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So this, this conflict that we are living in the midst of is now playing out again over Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, listen, I mean, what an accuser. Skin for skin, yeah. All the man has, he will give for his life. Like, you, you're still not his, the one whom he loves. You watch. Stretch out your hand now. Touch his bone and his flesh. He will surely curse you to your face. So there, again, the bet's on, as it would be. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Spare his life. So these boils came from Satan. These sicknesses come from the devil. Does God at times open a door or provide an access because there's an there's a accessibility? I believe he does. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded to shift, sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Say, G, Peter's about to fail miserably, but it was important that his faith didn't fail. So Jesus' intercession is over our faith not over the outcomes. And so now we go and he took, it says he went from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself, Job did, potsherd, and he began to scrape himself and he sat in the midst of the ashes. Now we're going to begin to see the most powerful means that Satan still uses to employ. And that is the words of others. And it begins with his wife. His wife came and said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, some of us get dragged into other people's journeys, and we don't want to be there. And we can all get to that place. You know, I just holding your place. Why are you holding your place? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends, and he actually has four, because the first three will be the ones to start speaking, but the four show up. Elihu is the one not mentioned here. They came, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they made an appointment together to come and mourn with Job and to comfort him. And, and uh, when they raised their eyes from afar, so they're on their way, and they, they did not recognize him. And they lifted their voices and they wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And they sat down with them on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word, for they saw that his grief was very great. So they're good and well-intended, genuine friends, mourning with him, grieving with him. And now begins what we call as Job's complaint in chapter 3. And what he does is he does not curse God, but he starts by cursing the day he was conceived, then goes on to curse the day he was born. And just 
sets this like anguish, like because what's going to happen is Job will defend himself as not deserving this kind of treatment from God. He doesn't get told that this is the devil and God's got utter confidence. He's just left in a, in a, as all of us, when we go through things, we just don't, we don't understand. I spent years saying that my, my, my place in the kingdom was making sense of the senseless. How to find a place to connect to God in the midst of something that every reason you should pull away from God. So he cursed the day of his birth, and he spoke and he said, May the day perish on which I was born and the night on which I said a male child is conceived. He just, I'd rather have never been here. You say, that, that can't be Christian in any way would we feel that way. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read it a few days ago, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the pressure we came in in Asia. We despaired even life. And that wasn't the sole life. That meant we just wanted to die. We just thought, you know, it'd be the easiest thing right now if we could just die. And then he goes and he finds out what happened was that we had a sentence of death in ourselves. So we carry things in our, our soul. We carry things in our vows. We carry things in, in the way in which we have um, viewed God that finds its way to have to be tested out of us, removed from us. And sometimes it can't happen until we see it. So he's a, we had a sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in him who raises from the dead. So one of the ways God takes, out of, takes us into a position of overcoming is he teaches us we are not overcomers, but he is an overcomer. He gets us from the part that it's up to us and it's all up to him. And that can be very difficult because that, you know, it's like my mom said before she got saved, you know, God helps, the Lord helps those who help themselves. And her friend had to say, you know, you, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> got her thinking. Well, the Lord helps those who can't help themselves, but will accept his help for them. And that's grace and all of that. So he goes through this chapter. Verse, um, let's close it up, verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in its misery and life to the bitter of soul, who, lo who uh, long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when the earth they can find a grave. There's just there's intense pressure. Why is light given to a man who so way is hidden and whom God has hedged in. From my sign comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. And the fear of death is the essence of all lifetime sufferings and bondage and captivity. That's why Jesus came to destroy him who had power of the death so that he might deliver those who through fear of death where there's all lifetime subject to captivity. First uh, John, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2. But to discover that, it's not an easy thing at times. Now Job's, I'm at, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. He's not blaming God, but he's not necessarily... Um, <clears throat> finding a place. What I, I've learned is that when I'm in a crisis, I want to find Christ. Then I, I'll follow him in the crisis. Maybe quickly out of it, maybe overcoming in it, maybe learning to endure it till it doesn't even affect me. I, I don't know what he's doing when I'm there. So the first thing I'm trying to do is find Christ. Job didn't have that luxury to know about that, but he ne neither did he go around going, where are you, God? I just want to understand you in this moment. I want to find you. He already had just accepted this was all God, and he couldn't submit himself. But now here's the, here's, here's the last part of today. Chapter 4. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, Temanite, answered and said, if one attempts... So they've listened to Job's complaint in chapter 4, now verse 2. If one attempts to a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? 
It's, there's just human conf conflict that we all want to get into. We all are vice givers and we're all fault finders by nature. It takes a lot to not become a advice giver or a fault finder. It's just kind of what we like to do. Armchair critics, I used to call us. Sit in an armchair and yell at the basketball game, tell the guy who's missed a, missed a shot, what a stupid shot you just did. As though you even could ever be allowed on that basketball court. But it's, but it's a, one of the things we do. It's criticism, it's, it's critiquing, it's... So, but they're, they're, they're riled. And there's an incentive behind why he's stepping up and we're gonna see it. And it's so insidious that I think if we hit, catch this part, then we'll, we can go into this week and start identifying the wicked voice of the accuser. He says, surely you have instructed many and you've strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now I come, it comes on you and you are weary it touches you, and you are, in, you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Job is just living under a false pretense that righteous living will always bring wonderful outcomes. Righteous living gets you killed. It can get you in, you know, so, but he's, He's holding this, he's trying to go, I've got one thing left, that's my integrity, and I'm not going to let you take it from me, and this. Now, um, uh, Eliphaz is determined to deal with that. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Well, every baby in a womb perished being innocent. People in Ukraine perished being innocent. People all around are perishing being innocent. So it's, it's a false pretext to believe that you, if you perish, it's because you're guilty. Or you, if you're being mistreated, it's because you did something wrong. And that's why you... So he says, uh, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble shall reap the same. Now let me, let me clarify. All of us will reap what we sow. And some men's sins will find them before they die. Other men's sins will find them after they die. Just as it is the acts of righteousness, some will be rewarded. But you can't just create a linear equation and identify where each other, where we are based on the, what's happening to us circumstantially. Um, the blast of God, they perish, and by the breath of his anger, they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lion are broken, and the old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs and lionesses are scattered. It's all circumstantial. It's all consequential. All consequential. It's all because of your actions and other actions. Now, a word. And I believe with all my heart, and this helped me so much many years ago, the satanic inter uh, interpretation of life's hardships Gets, gets into the psyche of man and becomes the arguing plot point, it, it, it decimates. It's, it's, all, it's, it's so insidious. So here he is. He says, a word was secretly brought to me. My ear received the whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on a man, Fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. And then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not dis discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes, and there was silence. <laughs> Sounds like a horror flick, doesn't it? <laughs> It is. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay 
whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever, no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die, even without wisdom. Now, some say several things about that. First off, Satan hates the fact that we live in clay pots, despises that we are been elevated to sonship, living inside mortal flesh and blood. He's a spirit. He hates God and what God did to him just because he tried to rise up and be equal with God. And he twists the whole, he takes all of the judgment that has been put on him and he puts it on us as though that's how God's attitude. He doesn't trust us. He doesn't love us. He doesn't care for us. He won't watch over us. He's ready to judge us in a moment. It's so insidious. This argument will be repeated. These very words, can a, God, can a mortal be more righteous than God? As though we're in a competition, that we're trying to be equal, which is what sin does. It tries to separate us so that we, our only hope is to have in competition a better outcome than the one before us. But we're not separated anymore. We're in Christ. And we're accepted inside the beloved. And there's nothing that I can do to be accepted or do to be unaccepted. My faith is in the resurrection. But this insidious thing gets a hold of them. And for the rest of these arguments, Job's going to have to say, no, no, no. I'm not going to give up my integrity because of your accusation. I'm not. But I'd like to have a conversation with God. I'd like to get to the place I could have an audience with him. I think it was 14 years ago maybe 15. It was an interesting, and I'll tell, you, tell this quick testimony in 10 minutes, I hope. It took me uh, many years to get to a good, solid month to be set up for, and then a weekend for, it to be, for me to become face-to-face -face with God. We were, um, we were up in we were up in Mammoth. We were speaking at a church. It was away, uh, and then we were getting to ski for a few days. And it was really, and I had our oldest son there, and um, we hadn't skied for years. I grew up skiing, so was, you know, I'd come in and out of that. But I, my dad was from Germany, and so he'd skied in Germany, and when he took, we started going skiing when I was four. But we hadn't skied for a bunch of years, and all of a sudden we were finding that coming back, and. We always rented skis and boots, and I could never find ones that did. And and I, I'd, I'd been up and I demoed a pair of boots. And I thought, wow, these things actually fit. I'd like to get a pair, but you know, like four or five hundred dollars. And but my son, our oldest, Nathan, being in, you know ingenious, in fact, that's ironic. He's up in Mammoth with his wife, and we've got the kids was talking about, Dad, we can find these online. We can go to REI. We can get a discount. We can do that. You know, and I'm going, whoa, yeah. That's not good. And Cammie and I went out to dinner. Uh, a friends of ours had given us a gift certificate who, whose church that we were part of, they were part of, to go out to dinner at a very nice restaurant. And I'm sharing with Cammie, just, you know, hey, I, I feel this hope kind of like, well, maybe we get this going again. I could buy these, you know, boots and then, you know, and she looks at me, she goes, you know, and she's, she is the most supportive person I've ever known. She'll go, she'll say yes to me when she knows it's wrong, but what I'm doing. And then she'll get mad later, but I always try to tell her, if you knew it was wrong, just tell me now. She, then she'll say, I did. I go, oh, no, you didn't tell me plainly enough. I was pointing it out. No, you aren't. You've got to tell me plainly. That's most of our arguments. But, um, she said, you know, we are here because we were called, speaking to the church. We're staying in somebody's condo as, who's connected to the church. We're not paying anything to be here. Hopefully we'll get something for having spoken. And, you know, boots are great. I think it's awesome. But how in the world are we going to ever support this? I mean, really, do, we, can, do you think we could just, you know, make this part of our life? 
And I, I had to accept the reasoning, but inside something really just soured in my heart. And I just was driving home, and I was telling Cammie, I'm going to have to go down and have a conversation with God. I just don't get this. Where I am, why I'm here, why can't I get out of here? What is this happening? Why is this... Con-? And it's just, it's, it's, it's pity, it's anger, it's questioning, it's, it's all of the stuff. And I knew enough that I needed to go be with God. And I was getting to go to a writer's conference up in Northern California. This was going to be a weekend. So I figured I'm going to take the mornings and just seek God. And then I'll go through the evening sessions and gain what, you know, advantage of being there. But I, I'm not he- I'm, I was being sent there by a friend to help me figure out if I could write or not. Any case, I'm there in the mornings, and I, I felt impelled, compelled. Like I said, I, I read Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, I'm going to stand on the rampart to see what I will answer when I am, re- when I am rebuked by God. Because his complaint was God was unjust. He allowed enemies to prevail. He did, and God was having to say, if that's your argument, watch it get even worse. And then he's going, okay, I'm going to just stand here to see what you're going to say because I know I'm going to be reproved. See, that's what I've learned about God. If I'm coming to have it out, I'm the one that's going to lose the argument. But I need to get honest because going around and, you know, acting like, oh, I love God, but you don't trust him. Oh, I think he's wonderful, but you don't tithe. You do all kinds of stuff, but you never deal with any of it. As though God doesn't know what's in our heart. It's, it's those triggers that catch you. So I'm up there, and I am just like, Lord, come on. I've got to deal with this. I go into the book of Job. I'm reading through the book of Job. I'm reading. I mean, I read the whole book of Job in one day. And I'm starting to notice, look at Job. You're just accusing God that you're not being just in your treatment for your righteousness. You're saying you're righteous, and and God's not being righteous in regard to your righteousness. And, and there's this conflict in his, oh, by the time Elihu stamp, steps in and he begins to point out, Job, let's talk about a little larger picture than the one you're in. You're in this little injustice that's happening to you. But, but, but wait a minute, where... Are you to answer God? Are you to say to God that whatever's happening to you is unfair, unjust? How do you know? How, who are you? Where were you? And it just begins to take him from a point of self-righteousness to having to realize he's very limited in understanding and knowledge. Then God shows up and says, who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Be like you and I giving an argue, argument about why our life is, why it's there, how come I'm here, it's not fair, it doesn't need to be, this is what we need to do to get a fix, and so I want it to be done. And then God walks in in all of his glory and majesty and says, excuse me, do you really know what I'm doing? Do you really know what I'm after? Do you know what I'm trying to get to? Do you know why you're here? And Job is... Now being told, okay, do you know where I store the thunder? Do you, know where, do you know where I store darkness? Have you ever been in the place where I keep light? How about where I keep the hailstones that I reserve even times of battle? Uh, and then he goes into what will be, and we'll see it more. He goes into Leviathan. Leviathan is, is the king of pride. It's another imagery of Satan. And in fact, he very ends with saying, you know, he is the son, he is the king of all those of pride, sons of pride. I'm reading this. I'm going, I can't get God. I'm, if I demand God to give me an explanation of why I'm here and what I need to do and what he ought to do and what he's going to do and why I'm, I'm going to be living my rest of my life here because he doesn't answer to anybody. He's in heaven. He does what he pleases. He doesn't even have, uh, Elihu says, he doesn't even have uh, a tribunal over a king. He looks at a king, any king, every king, and he decides, I don't want you to continue 
wrecking the world with what you're doing. I'm just going to kill you tonight while you sleep. And there'll be no record of it. It's just he did it. He, he is involved, and he can do anything he pleases. So how are we to now say, I want, a, I, want a, I want a day in court, which is what I was doing. I want my day in court. And I'm just, I'm going from God. If you don't, you know, I mean, I am so righteous. And I'm getting so little from my righteousness. To I am wicked and selfish and, 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 and self-centered and conceited and I'm just going, oh, God. I, and that's what Job does. He says, he said, you asked me who, can, who counts, darkens counsel without knowledge. I spoke out of turn. I spoke of what I didn't understand. But now let me say this one thing to you. I have heard about you from the hearing of my ear, but now I see you face to face. And I abhor myself from this is not fair. I shouldn't be here. This is not a, a, this to I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. The, the, tur the turning point for Job was repentance. And it wasn't like some transactional repentance. It was the recognition that, boy, I'm way out of turn. I'm way beyond my pray grade. I am making accusations to God that I really should never have said. And now he's just... Well... I'm now in this counter, and it's, it's like, it's those days when repentance gets you, and you really know, and I'm walking around, you know, I'm walking around like I'm, I've got something that no one else has, and I don't realize that I'm, I'm the king that has no clothes on, because of my, my own conceit. I don't even realize my nakedness, like the Laodicean church. So I'm just like, I'm going, I gotta call Cammie. I gotta tell her. I got to tell her what I found out. It's me. <laughs> the problem's me again. It's not God. And it's not the issue of him answering me. He's not, he didn't even answer me. He just asked me if I really want him to answer me. He, he asked me to answer him. And now I see what he's getting at. And it's the pride in me. It's the self-reliance. It's a, I've done a really good job. I should get a better paycheck than the one I'm getting. That's Lucifer. I'm a good worship leader. I get God gets good worship through me. In fact, I think the worship is better because it goes through me. And frankly, if, he, if I wasn't around, I doubt he'd get this kind of worship. In fact, why should he be the one who gets worship all? Because I'm, I'm an important part of this. We're all important part, right? We're all gods. I'm just going to become my own god. I'm not going to get rid of God. I'm just going to be competition. Competition is good for everybody. And you just, you just come up with those lines. And this is what was happening. Meanwhile, close the subject, closes the story. Because I'm gone for the weekend, we'd arrange for a friend, Paul Kane, to come and speak. And uh, so Paul Kane came, and Cammy knows why I'm up there. Paul Kane came, and he said, I have a word of the Lord for you. And he said, don't seek an explanation. Seek a new experience. And it was all Cammy could do was not text me right then. You know, like, there you go. That's what you, you don't need an explanation of what's just gone through. You need a new experience with God to go into the future. You can't just, you, he's not answering all those questions. You know, but if you just seek the new experience, you'll move into the, where he's taking you and the benefit of where he took you through will show up later too. It's like, sometimes you ask God, why did you do this? And sometimes he tells you and sometimes he doesn't. And that's because he's God and I'm not. And so she's got this. I got this. Finally, we're on our way home. I'm driving down. I'm talking to her. And she's telling me what Paul had said. And I'm telling her what Job had said. And I'm just going, I can't believe this. It's that effort of righteousness that I seek to carry that then puts me in a position that I can't believe I'm getting this kind of pay and these kinds of ill pay and... and and I just, it's just, I got, I was just so free and so, so humbled and so released and so realized, yes, I would pray for anybody right now because I'm the one, is, I'm the most wicked of everybody I know, which I don't, I've never seen God move in my life unless I'm the most wicked. He's after wicked people. He's longing for sinners to come to repentance. 
He does, you know, the people he has trouble with is those Pharisees. And they pray with themselves all the time. So I just want to release for you. I think, I believe with all my heart that when you're in a bad place, you need to have an honest conversation with God. And you need to tell him the truth, what you think of him. And he'll get to you and let you know what he thinks of you. But it's not that insidious, wicked, demonic stuff. Oh, I don't trust you. He loves you. He gave his son for us. He's, but that honest conversation, that honest heart will never go unrewarded. It'll come to a connection point. We'll lose the argument. We'll be free from the accusation. We'll finally enter this. Because otherwise you spend the rest of your life carrying these doubts and these thoughts. So let, let the conversation. You know how I know this to be true? There was a man most beloved of the Lord. His name was David, the king of Israel. And he was a man after God's own heart. But he got tired. He'd been through a lot. Engaged, entered, a, and he took, off, he, took a, he took a spring off. The time the kings went to battle, he stayed home and sent Joab. He left the place he was supposed to be and hang out, and he got up in the middle of the day. He was sleep-deprived. He was probably really in a rest recovery mode. But he got up and got on the top of his house and looked down the mount, uh, city of David, and there was a beautiful woman, and she was bathing, and they caught there at each other's attention the first beginnings of pornography. Saw him, saw her, lusted, called for her. They slept together. She became pregnant. Now he has a problem of covering up what's happened, so he cuts, tries to get Uriah, her husband, to come back from battle so they can sleep together, so he'll assume that it's his baby. That doesn't work, so then he sends Uriah to his death, and that does work, and then he decides that he's going to show benevolence to this widow and marry her, and now the child will be covered, and, and he's gone a year, and God's not spoken to him, God's not doing any of that. And finally, Nathan, the prophet, has to show up and tell him a story about a, about a rich man who had tons of herds, and there was a, a poor man who had a little goat, and he loved this little lamb so much that he would let it eat at the table. And when the rich man had a friend come over, rather than taking the spoil that he kept and all the resources, he just demanded the poor man's uh, pet and killed it and fed the stranger. And David, rage rose up because unresolved sin will always create rage and judgment and anger. And it doesn't have to be about your sin. Usually it's displaced because we can't let it land. So we're after it. It's like Cammy always says, the political always is the, the personal always becomes political. So I'm, he's standing there and he rages up. He says, this man shall die. He'll pay sevenfold. And, and um, Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. And then the, the most convicting thing of everything was God said to David, I gave you everything. I gave you your, your, uh, the kingdom. I gave you the wives. I gave you the... I would have given you more. And I thought, you mean... You could have avoided this had you had an honest conversation of where you were regarding to what you were, how you were being treated, rather than you think that was a fair take. And I started, he said, I would have, I'd have given you more. But instead of asking me for the resolution, you took matters into your own hand, and you killed a man, and you took him his wife, and now the child's going to have to die. And so light comes into the moment, and David falls to the ground because he's, aware of that this child is going to die, but he's also aware that God is full of mercy. You never know what God's going to do. Maybe he'll turn his, change his mind. So he goes into that whole prayer and fasting. And he's so despondent that the servant's trying to get him up. Come on, it's okay. You know, you, you were told you were forgiven. Eat something. Just there. So finally, they're talking, the child died. But don't tell him. If he finds out the child died, he might kill himself. So he, he notices him whispering. He said, is the child dead? And they said, yeah. He said, okay. He got up, 
washed his clothes, washed himself, put on new clothes, went into the, went into the tabernacle and worshipped, then came back to his home and asked for food to eat. And his servants are gone. What in the world is happening? When the child was alive, you fasted and prayed. Now the child's dead. You're eating? And he said, well, the child's gone, and I can't bring the child back. I'll go to see my son. But while he was alive, I said, you never know what God might do. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's compassionate. So I sought him. And now that he's dead, there's nothing for me to do but to go forward. That's where Psalm 51 was written. The most powerful psalm of repentance. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you are just when you judge and righteous when you condemn. You are just. I will not, I accept where I am. He is so restored to God that he goes home to his wife, who's found out through the news outlets that he had actually was the murderer of her husband. And he comforts her. How do you comfort the wife? How do you comfort your wife when she finds out you're a murderer? Holy Spirit. Acceptance in Jesus. Having resolved, he had come into the joy of salvation. Something had happened. He was, and he goes in and sleeps with her. Now, that would seem like, how are you ever going to let that happen again? Because I'm never going to go through that kind of... And now comes a baby. And now Nathan the prophet, when the child is born, they call his name Solomon. But Nathan the prophet has a special word from God, and he says, go tell David, I call this son Jedekiah, because he's greatly loved. That breaking through pride is the hardest thing that God has to do. And the one thing he said to Job, he says, if you can humble a man, then I'll say you've got control of your future. No one, we can oppress people, we can control people, we can, but we cannot humble people. Only God can. And yet it's the one thing God says, I will go after whenever I see it, wherever I see it, whoever's carrying it, sons, daughters. I'm going to resist pride because that's the essence of the original sin. So there is just something about having the honesty of vulnerability and being willing to tell God how I'm feeling, even though I know the truth of the word, but I won't make the word be my feelings. If my feelings keep disrupting the truth, I'm going to have to deal with me so I can get to the receive and have the conversation. This is a week of conversation. Let, let, how come I'm still here? Why haven't you come? What's going on? Is this what you want from me? And, and, not, and long enough so he can then come along and say, well, here, let me speak into where you are and, and, and address things. It takes all kinds of weights off. It just it changes the course and, does, and unlocks miracles. Unlocks miracles. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this part of this story. I thank you for everyone in this room. I know how you feel about everyone here. You love us dearly. You're not distrusting and, and despising. You're generous in your spirit. And you will allow things to go far so that you can capture the heart. And you allow things in the heart to f come out so we can see what we couldn't see big and your son is the redemption of us all and we can return in Christ there we are accepted again Lord I pray that this week would be a week of the honesty that you delight in and not the part of accusation that we have lived under I pray grace would abound I pray for all of us that you are after an element of pride, self 
righteousness that we carry we don't realize cannot stand together with Jesus Christ you just help us in talking it through allowing your scriptures to come back alive wherever you take us to read we worship you Jesus Lord I pray for the gift of repentance for each of us in this room wherever wherever it is that's the doorway out never found a doorway out without repentance Lord and I know that we are a people that are longing to do right and we want to do good and we try to follow the law as best we can but pressure brings things up in us that we cannot see otherwise and yet Jesus is sufficient for all all of our sins Lord, I pray that in this double portion week, there will be the season of these next seven days of tremendous honesty and, and being overwhelmed in your majesty, inside your sovereignty. You take the conversation we've been having with ourselves and bring us into the conversation you have over us. Be gracious. Be powerful. Point us to you by letting us see us and release us. We ask you, God, that where we cannot get an explanation, that you would now grant us a new experience. That we would not, we would have not the audience we want, but to see the awesomeness of God, the awfulness of God, so that we could give you place again to be sufficient for everything. Grace, grace. And Lord, we're, we're stirred up right now. And let us carry that conversation forward with you. Because you're bigger than every conversation we could ever have, any accusation we need to say. help some of us he says you know you can always journal to me write it down if you don't know if you don't feel you have the freedom to just speak to him face to face write it down as how you perceive it that's the book of Psalms but I just believe that there is a great grace a great grace to rest on all of us this week to converse with God about ourselves and not allow others to get in the way of that conversation, but to allow the one between you and me, face to face, me and God are writing it out until we begin to hear God speak and allow God to overwhelm and begin that new experience, which is what that is. It's a new experience with God. And I just bless everyone, everyone online. I just grace and joy peace and victory I believe may it be Lord Father you only know how we can bring us to a point of double portion in a week but you can or you can initiate a portion that is doubling and doubling and doubling over the next few weeks but we ask you right now that you would help us this week of honesty until you meet us 
until we can come to the gift of repentance, to the knowledge of the truth, and come to our senses and escape the snare of him who took us captive to do his will. Wherever it is, and wherever hidden way it is operating, we're longing for freedom. We're longing for your freedom. And we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen.